0: better understand it, right? So we're in 1 John today, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. I will read that and then pray and then share some thoughts on it. You all there? 1 John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, "I love God" and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has not seen, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Will you pray with me? Lord, we indeed need you every hour. There's never a moment that we can set aside our relationship with you, nor your great love for us that you've shown us in Christ. Father, this morning, as we said earlier, we come with burdens. We come with challenges and difficulties heavy on our hearts. We come with all sorts of reasons to look elsewhere this morning. And yet, since we have gathered here, we proclaim that we ought to look to you. Lord, we have read your word. Now as we discuss it, as we hear hopefully a clear explanation of what we ought to do in light of it, would you shape our hearts by your love? Would you empower us? Would you abide with us? Would you, as we just sang, would you come quickly and abide? Would you not linger, Lord, as we so often fear that you do? Lord, your word is clear. You are with us. We thank you that Jesus has died to make that possible. We pray, Lord, for anyone in here who does not know Christ, that perhaps through this word this morning, they might come to faith, that they might be born again, walk in the light as you are in the light, and follow you all their days. For others who know Christ, establish us in your love. Let it not be a trite thing on our minds, but the deepest reality of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So the title this morning is Abiding in Perfect Love. The title is also Confidence in Perfect Love. The title is also Abiding in the Confident Love of God. So whatever you want to write down, feel free. Or make something up for yourself. Because I couldn't make up my own mind. But the idea of abide is something we definitely want to include in our concept of this passage. But the main thing is what one word that you heard 28 times. Love in this passage. (laughs) That's okay. Love. God is love. God is love. So let us love one another, John says. As we abide in him, as we know him, as we grow in knowing him, we ought to love one another. This is going to be the clear instruction that we have. Let's be reminded for a second of what John has told us most recently in previous passages. He's reminded us of the confidence that we have in Christ to reject the lies of the devil and the world that would take us away from Christ, that would tell us that there is a better way. He told us last week not to believe every spirit, not to believe every teaching, not to believe every motive, but to test the spirits, to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So why is it that John moves from this idea of testing the spirits to God is love? Because clearly the fact that love is so essential to who God is and what we are called to do is an important bridge for us to cross as we move from the beginning of chapter 4 to the end of it. And because clearly there was some false teaching going on in the church in the first century that dismissed the love of God or perhaps even just overshadowed it. Here in this passage, we find that amazing statement, God is love, not once, but twice. We've seen the concept of love already two times before in our study. So if you remember, way back in chapter 2, verse 10, we saw it as a command and an evidence that we, because of Christ, walk in the light. If we love one another, we are walking in the light. We saw it more recently in chapter 3, verse 11, where we see the contrast between Cain, who was, as John says, of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. And we compared Cain with Jesus. Cain, the life taker, and Jesus, the life giver. And the fact is that whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever does not love according to God's standard of love, and God is love. The world, apart from Christ, is unable to love in a way that is acceptable before God because the selfishness of humanity ultimately amounts to hatred and death as we see in the story of Cain and Abel. So again, what is our clear instruction from verse 7? And we'll see it multiple times again. Beloved, let us... Finish it, please. Love one another. Let us love one another. With the love that you receive from knowing God. Look at verse 7 again. For, that is because... Love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Is love important in our society today? Yeah. Do people love love? Yeah. Wait till February, right? Everything's red and pink, and there's hearts everywhere. We're in love with the idea of what love is. Now, the last time we talked about love, we, I shared some Beatles lyrics with you to your amusement, I hope. But you can't pick just one song that would help us understand what our culture believes about love because there are so many different flavors of it, right? There are so many songs that are written, so much poetry, so many journal entries poured out about, oh, I I love this person, I don't really even know what love is, but I really want to love this person, I really want something about this idea of love. And the Bible tells us that apart from God, apart from knowing God, we cannot love love. Sure, we can have an emotional response. We can have warm, fuzzy butterfly feelings in our hearts. But apart from knowing God, we cannot know what love really is. And this is where um, some things get tangled up in between Christianity and the world system. Because we might look at this and say, hey, everyone who loves is born of God because God is love. So that person that I know who doesn't know Jesus lives in complete contrast to him in their whole life in every way. They're really loving to their family or to their neighbor or to their friend. They've done very loving things. Does that not mean that they know God or that they're acceptable to God because of their love? What do you think? Is it good enough for us to just say, okay, if God is all about love, then why don't I just focus on love? I don't really need the Bible. I don't even need the church. All I need to do is make sure that in every instance that I have the opportunity, I'm going to love someone. Going to act in love. Now, Christian, do you think that apart from the Bible, apart from the Holy Spirit's influence in your life, that you will every opportunity you have to love someone, will you always take it up and do the right thing? No, of course not. We are not good at this thing about loving people, and we have millions of excuses for it, don't we? The instruction is clear. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Can you take love away from the Christian faith? No. But people do all the time. We dismiss it. Somebody tell me, what did Jesus say in response to the question, what is the greatest commandment? You can say it louder, and confidently, because you know you're right. Just go ahead and say it. I'll wait. I'm a middle school teacher. I used to be a middle school teacher. I'm, I'm ready for this. Say it like you mean it. Okay, so that's the second one, right? What was the first one? Yeah, love God with all that you are. The command that sums up all other commandments is Love. Loving God with everything that you are. And then we have the second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And I think sometimes we get confused by that. So I really like what uh, this singer in the 70s named Keith Green said in, in a paraphrase of it. He said, love everyone else as much as you love yourself. Now, you may be sitting here this morning and you might think, yeah, but I don't love myself. I know all sorts of terrible things about myself. And I don't like me. How could I even possibly love me? Well, did you brush your teeth this morning? Did you eat yesterday? Did you work hard at your job? Did you comb your hair if you have any? Did you do something to take care of yourself to meet your needs? You may be disappointed with yourself, but what Jesus is saying is that you meet the needs that you have day by day to go about the life that you have. And so our problem, the Bible tells us, is not that we don't love ourselves enough, because that's another fallacy the culture is is giving into the church. And I've heard Christians say that the gospel is love God, love people, love yourself. Have you ever read the Bible before? Do you see anything in here where God says, you know what your problem is? You just don't love yourself enough. Almost every single time the problem is that we love ourselves, what? Too, oh, now you're doing it? Okay. We turn the volume up to like 11. Nice job. The problem is so much of the time that we love ourselves too much. And we need to get our eyes off of ourselves, even if we have this, this dark you know, attitude towards ourselves, this lack of self-esteem, the world would say, that, that just says, well, I, I'm, I'm no good. I'm not worth anything, blah, blah, blah. That inward focus is loving yourself in one sense, right? Loving your misery. Yes. And misery loves what? Company. 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 But rather, so just as that love of self is self-absorption and it drives us deeper into our own misery and depression and sadness, we love to bring people into it. We would love for people to know how miserable we are because somehow that makes us feel better in our misery that we love, but we hate. Do you see the confusion of this yet? And God calls us to love. So, let me ask you this question. When you think about a loving person, who comes to your mind as the quintessential example of loving people? And you're not allowed to say Jesus yet, because that's kind of like the, the answer at the end of this. So, right now, you're thinking about your grandma, your mom, your neighbor, a teacher, your pastor, whoever that you think just shows you what love really looks like, what love really means. You're probably thinking about somebody who's marked by happiness, somebody who's always glad to see you. Or perhaps they're very generous. And anytime you have a need, they are more than willing to do whatever they can to meet it. Maybe it's their selflessness. Someone you know who talked very seldom about themselves and always preferred to hear more about you. We set these standards in our mind and we see love and we try to analyze it. Love is selflessness. Love is happiness. Love is generosity. Those things are not bad. Those are qualities of the Lord, right? Thank you. Don't fall off the train. You were doing really good last time. So do you have somebody in your head right now? Do you have somebody chosen that you say, like, yeah, this person? I mean, I can't. I, it's my grandma for me. It's just, it's, it's my grandma, definitely. I don't know who you're picking. But we all know somebody who is like this. Even if they're not perfect, they're still, in our experience, the person that we think shows us love in the best possible way. But what John is saying is not that God is loving That he is not just the ultimate example of that person that you're thinking right now. That they are just a shadow of it, but he's really just the better version of that kind of love. John is not saying that God is loving. He says what three words that we're focusing on. Say it. God is love. God is love. Not that he's a model example of love. Not that Christ has simply met the standard for love in a way that we could say, oh, there's the best expression of what love is. But that he who is the eternal son of God has revealed the perfection of love. So look at this next part. Uh, In this, the love of God was made what in verse 9? Manifest, revealed. The love of God revealed. Not simply pictured or imaged. This is not a, hey, I took a picture with my phone of what love is and I sent you a text message. This is Jesus being the love of God revealed to us. And he, I don't want to do a double negative sentence. He always was the love of God manifest to us. But that love became the most clearest and the most present at the cross. Because the love of God was such that he he gave his son. Now we're talking this morning about the divine perspective of this. Not the human perspective, but the divine perspective. And talking about an attribute or characteristic about who God is. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God has sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So that we might live through him. Jesus is not just a picture to say, hey, I want you to get an idea of what love is. He comes and he is love. And it is his action, not your reception of the action, that gives life. This is not a matter this morning of me calling you to say, hey, believe in Jesus so that you can have life, although you do need to do that. But we're looking from the divine perspective here, and we're seeing that in God's eyes, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he accomplished the only deed that could ever be done to give another person life to give just one person, to give a million people, to give billions of people who will believe in Jesus. There's no other single person in the world who could lay down their life and save even one other person because they had to be a spotless sacrifice. They had to be perfect. They had to be love perfect. And Jesus is just that. The life and death and resurrection of Christ is all summed up in this phrase, God sent his only son. It starts at Christmas and it ends on Easter. But then it continues, right? Because is he dead still? No, is the resurrection, the end. He's coming back. He's going to send his son again. And And how does that look on God's calendar? Is that just like the Thursday afternoon plan a couple hundred years from now? Oh yeah, don't forget. You're going to go back and get those people off the earth and bring them to paradise and bring your kingdom down to them more like. No, this is the last and ultimate event in all of history the last big calendar event in God's calendar of all of time. And he has revealed the plan of that at the cross. So for the sake of comparison, look at this language John uses in verse 9. He says, his only son. Does that remind you of any Old Testament story, Old Testament father particularly, who had an only son? Thank you, Abraham. So Genesis 22, 2 is where we find that story where God blessed Abraham with this son when he was 99 years old, far too old to have children. He and his wife had a child. They named him Isaac. They were so happy. They believed that God's promise that he would become a great nation was true because he did this miraculous thing of giving him a brand new son so, old and lo- so, so late in life. And then Genesis 22 two happens. He says, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Can you imagine what Abraham is thinking at this moment? Go, take your son. And God knows who Isaac is. He doesn't just say, "Uh, take, um, uh, how about your son? I I don't know. I was thinking maybe your wife, but no, I think son. Let's go with son this time. No, God has this perfect plan that he is showing a shadow of in the life of Abraham and Isaac. And he says, take your son, your only son, whom you love. God is expressing to Abraham the reality. He knows very clearly how Abraham feels about his son his only son, his son son whom he loves. Abraham, of course, had to have struggled as any one of us would with obeying this command. But he still trusted the Lord, Lord to give Isaac back to him alive no matter what happened, so he obeyed. When they walked up the mountain, Isaac said, hey, we've got the wood, we've got the fire, we've got the knife, but we don't have the lamb for the sacrifice. And what does Abraham say? Oh, you're the sacrifice. Let's keep going. No, he doesn't even have to, like, stop and explain. Listen, God told me this. and I, No, he says very confidently what? Does anybody know? The Lord will provide the, the, the ram for the sacrifice, right? Amazing. So the Lord, of course, did provide a ram at the last second. The ram died so that Isaac's, Isaac, Abraham's only son, his son whom he loved, didn't have to. And that was an amazing picture, an amazing display of God's love for Abraham and Isaac. No doubt Abraham was so much more sure of God's love for him. But this action was only a picture. It was only a shadow. When God offers his son, his only son, whom he loves, we see there is no last minute rescue at the cross. Jesus had to be the sacrifice. And in this, the love of God is manifest and revealed to us. No longer a shadow, no longer an image, no longer a story or an illustration or an analogy. The love of God is manifest in Jesus Christ dying on the cross. And this is our message. This is the only message that we have. This is the whole message of this entire book. But my friends, how easy is it for us to come to a passage about God being love and saying, yes, I know this, I've heard the gospel story over and over and over again. That's why we're taking so long on this matter of the instruction let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever, has, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And this is how God manifests his love. He showed it to us. He abided with us in love. He didn't send a postcard. He didn't send a text message. He didn't make a phone call. He put his son on a cross for us. And even though the cross was terrible, the wrath of God and the spiritual reality of what was going on was being poured on his only son. In your place, you deserved that. I deserved that. And Jesus took the cup of God's wrath and drank it dry and left nothing for another to atone for. And so then in verse 10, we get this very fancy word. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Probably not a word you throw around when you're in the McDonald's drive through very much, do you? Propitiation is a really big word and there's a lot to it and we don't have time to cover all of what it means. But let's say, hopefully this suffices, that Christ's sacrifice was not simply a picture of God's love for the lost, but he became a wrath absorbing sacrifice. That is that to the justice of God against all of his people's sin, Jesus became like a sponge and soaked up Every last drop of the wrath of God for you, leaving none for you to atone for on your own. Do you know that if you even had a droplet of God's wrath, it would take you an eternity to satisfy? You would never be able to come out under the weight of that for even one sin. And yet Christ has absorbed all of your sin if you are in him, all the sin of all of his people for all of time. Do you understand the wealth of the blood of Christ? The first half of 410 explains that perfection, the perfection of God's love is well. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is, that this morning when we come to worship, we are not coming to say, Lord, please love us. We will try our hardest to love you. We will even abide in you. We'll use those bible words to do the right thing. Just please love us. It's not that we have loved him, but that he has loved us and that he has already sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. When Jesus hung on the cross, he knew exactly what he was doing. He didn't wonder, I hope people believe. I hope I get something out of this. We read in scripture that for the joy set before him, he endured the wrath of God. He endured the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. Full confidence that the wrath of God would be, cr- would be overcome by his love for his Father and for his people. His love required nothing on our part. We may have memories of going to that person we thought of earlier who best showed us love. Do you remember that person? Do you still have them in your mind? We might go to them and say, hey, my car broke down. Can I borrow money to fix it? Or can you help me with my homework? Or can you show me how to write a resume? We'd go to that person with confidence that as we express our need, they would do whatever they could to meet it. But coming to God, we don't know how to ask him to make things right. What God tells humanity in the coming of Jesus Christ is, the only way you can be saved, forgiven, and made new would be if my son, my only son, whom I love, who has never done anything against me before, would lay down his life for you. Not only to die on a cross, but to take your place and absorb all my just hatred against your sin as if it were his own. Could you ever ask God to do such a thing? If Christ had not come, but you knew that was the only way you could be saved, and you had audience with the Lord, could you ever, could you even fathom saying, would you allow your son to die in my place? Could you even ask another person that? And any parent here? Could you say, hey, your your child, if they would die for me, that would really help me out of a really serious bind I'm in. We couldn't fathom it, right? To come before the holy God of the universe and say, would you give your son for me? We don't even know how to ask him for what we need. And yet his love covers even that need and meets us with the greatest sacrifice on our behalf. So what is it that the text tells us we must do? We see in verse 11, sorry, verse 7 and in verse 11. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and love is perfected in us. John has in mind the love for our brothers and sisters in Christ specifically here. Do we need to love non-believers? Yes. Yes, you do. But I'll tell you this, if you're not doing all you can to love the people of God, you're not doing your best at loving your neighbor, believer or not, in the first place. If you are not in fellowship with the body of Christ and lovingly serving them with each other and being served and doing all that life together stuff that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about, it would be very hard for us to move to that next step. So John is taking us back a notch and saying we ought to love one another. So here is the problem today. How can we possibly expect to love each other in this way? Because John has said, if God so loved us, and there's two little words that you probably skipped over when you read that. First of all, if. What does if mean? Does if mean, well, maybe he did. No, in this case, it means so. It means since, rather. Since God has loved us in this way, since God has so loved us. He didn't just give us that whole picture of Jesus as the propitiation for our sins, just for his own health. He did it to say, in this way, love other people. Are you kidding me? Sacrificially? Unconditionally? Laying down? Having at great cost for myself? The command of loving others sounds impossible. How can we obey this? We look at what Christ has done, and we rightly say, no one can do that again. There is no one else who could ever love in that way. We cannot go onto a cross and atone for other people's sins. But this amazing thing comes in, and it is, in fact, that God abides in us. Look again at verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So here's your fake message. Love other people so that God will abide in you. That's the fake message. Some of you are looking at me like you didn't hear that first sentence. Okay? You look at that verse and you probably think right off the bat, okay, let's look at the order of this. If we love one another, then God abides in us. There's no then there. It's proof that God abides in us. And what John is trying to do throughout his whole letter as he talks about us abiding in Christ is not to say... Figure all of this out so that God can hang with you. He's saying that God hangs with the people who are like this, and He makes them that way. And so, verse 12, we need to probably switch around in our minds a minute. God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us when and if we love one another. How do I know if God's abiding in me? Do you love other believers? You get excited about going to church, even if the sermon's going to be lousy, if only for the sake of being with other people who love the person that you love more than anyone in the world. Most of you have to work in, in situations where many people don't even know Jesus. And, and you're supposed to be there because you need to be a light to them. But Sunday morning and, and Bible study and discipleship groups and the times that you get to be with other believers should be a time where you say, what a refreshing thing. I can be with other people. Now, I'll share from my own experience because I, I've been in situations where I've worked with nothing but non-believers. But right now, I'm in a situation where many hours of my week, I'm completely by myself, and it gets lonely. It's okay. I was I, that was a fake cry. Don't worry. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> when I Sunday morning for me is the pinnacle of the week, no doubt, absolutely. Because all week I roam these halls waiting for you guys all to get here, and I stand up here and I pretend to do the sermon and I do all this stuff and I go, look at these empty chairs, and I think there's people who usually go in here and I, I remember and I, I pray for you because I not and, and this is, uh, I'm not trying to be like oh look at me, but I love the church. You are the church. And the reason that, I have, that, I, that I've realized this great love is because Christ loves you guys so much. It's amazing. And, and this whole thing that I'm sharing with you from my own perspective is something that you can have as well. Because it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a missionary or whatever you do for your vocation, your job, whatever your job is, is to reveal Christ to the world, to be the love of God manifest to others. And in one sense, you guys have a way better opportunity of doing that than I do, because you're out there in the world with people who many of them don't know Jesus. And you might be the only means that God puts in their life to tell them about Jesus. So don't let this idea of loving your neighbor, believer, believer or not be something that you say, "I'm sure there'll be another Christian who can come around and do that in my place." way better even. You're it. And if you want that, if you want to have that good focus, that razor-sharp perspective on your week starting tomorrow, one of the things we need to do is we need to love each other well. We need to abide in this great love that Christ has for us. Okay. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This test is very clear. Look all the way down to chapter 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not love his brother whom he, has not, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. There's no gray area regarding love. It's not possible to have God abiding in you and for you to be apathetic and inactive towards others whom you are called to love. If we let our Sunday gathering be the only instance that we spend time with other believers that we have fellowship with each other, that we worship together, then we're missing out on opportunities to walk in the love of Christ together, to serve each other, and most importantly, to be serious about Christ abiding in us, to embrace that very truth. You embrace the truth, believer, that Christ is abiding in you when you look to his word, when you sing his praises, when you encounter him in prayer, when you serve other people, and when you join together with other believers. And that one is, is the sort of overlooked step-cousin in some people's minds. That fellowship with other believers, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. No, you don't. But how can you be a Christian without the church? I don't know how you can. I can't do it. And I'm realizing that the more time that I'm sitting here even looking at God's word on my own, I need you guys to interrupt my week more often. Seriously. <laughs> It's okay to interrupt me. It's not an interruption. I love that I get to spend time in God's word and prepare and and pray and look at it and study and, and get ready for this moment. But we, we did this already. We've had the times where I've been sitting here looking at that camera with a completely empty room. It's not preaching a sermon if there's nobody here. And the sermon is no good if you just leave it here. You have to take it out and love one another. You need to find it. You've got to come up with an idea right now. You've got to come up with it right now. Okay, I'm telling you. You've got to do it. What can you do to love other people this week? What can you do to manifest the love of Christ in other people's lives? I, I say that because so often we say, hey, no pressure on this, but I want to put pressure on you on this. This, this is a really, really big deal. And we have a lot of announcements, not just for the sake of announcements, but because every one of those slides that you looked at was an opportunity to love other people. And I know if you're anything like me, you were probably sitting there thinking, can't go to that, can't go to that, can't go to that, can't go to that. Can't do that one. I don't know how to bowl. Just come eat pizza. Just be with other believers. Don't sell, Don't don't let... These opportunities slip through your fingers because there are other things that are important. Your job is important. Your family is important. Your hobbies even are important. I'll tell you that. Your rest is important. But don't let fellowship with other believers, don't let opportunities to love other believers become the bottom of the list because you'll never get to it. And I will tell you this, if you prioritize fellowship with other believers and you prioritize the opportunities that you have to love each other, you will never be disappointed if you do it in this way, recognizing that God abides in us and is calling us to this very thing. The truth is we are all very busy raising kids. We have demanding and time-consuming jobs. We face incredible challenges with relatives. Our house projects, big and small, seem like they're never done. Sarah and I are still trying to get our floor in after a year. It's okay. There are big, tragic things in life as well that hinder our ability to love each other And there are small things too. If God has not let his love remain a simple idea, if he has not left it as a note, but rather given us his son, has revealed it in Christ, we need to seriously ask ourselves if we are doing that same thing or not. Beloved, this is God's design for you. He hasn't relieved you of your burdens so that you can live easy and be ever free to serve and fellowship with one another. He hasn't designed for us to all have the most flexible schedules. He knows everything about what you have planned for the rest of today, the rest of the week, and the rest of the month. Sometimes he interferes with that. Sometimes you sprain your ankle for the second time. And it throws off your whole schedule, and suddenly you can't go to that place or do that other thing. But there are other times that he doesn't interrupt your schedule, and he lets it load up. And he would never tell you, hey, listen, you just don't have time for church. You just don't have time for loving your neighbor, your brother and sister in Christ. I know it can be hard. Sometimes we wonder if it would just be better if we just won the lottery, never had to work again, and then we would have all this free time. The truth is, it's not ever a matter of our schedule. It's a matter of our hearts and who is abiding there. If the Holy Spirit is abiding in us, then he, I pray and hope right now even, that he is speaking to your heart and saying, yes, Let's do this. Let's cancel that other thing. Let's not worry if the dishes pile up for one, two, or even three nights. You can always kill the bugs later. We can let some of these other things slide so that we can do this very important thing of loving one another. It's a simple answer, but it's not easy. Sacrifice something in order to love. You may have to take something off the calendar. You may have to sacrifice even a good thing. And if you have to sacrifice a good thing in order to love another brother and sister in Christ, then you've done the right thing because Christ sacrificed a good thing to love you. If he loved us, so we should also love one another. And that's the solution. Christ's ultimate revelation of love propels our love for others through his abiding spirit. The power and presence of love. This is verses 13 through 16. I left the outline out somewhere. I don't even know where. I apologize for that. But we're in verses 13 through 16 at this moment. God doesn't abide in us when we love one another. We love one another when God abides in us. We've seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. You don't need to be a super Christian in order for God to abide in you. You need to confess faith in Christ. He has paid it all for you. He is available to you every hour of every day. He has given you the power to love others by his presence in your life. If you have confessed Christ, if you trust him, if you've been born again, In the context of loving others, many Christians, though they know they didn't earn their salvation, think or sometimes act as though they need to work to keep themselves saved. And and so they get these verses backwards. That's not what I'm calling you to this morning. I'm calling you to embrace what God has made for you to be and to do as you abide in him, abide together in Christ. This is why I love Augustine's prayer that I've quoted multiple times in the past year. Lord, give what you command and command what you will. Again, we look at our schedules. We look at our challenges in life, our distractions, our troubles. And we say, I don't have time for loving others. I don't have time for joining with the church. God's commanded you to do it. Pray like Augustine. Give what you command and command what you will. Give me the time. Give me the focus. Give me the zeal. Give me the passion to be with other believers and to know you more. And he'll do it. John reminds us that the spirit of God abides in us. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God has the Holy Spirit. God abides in him. And so just as we are saved by Christ alone, we are kept by him alone. And this is the second part. Um, One of the major things that John wants to get us to is in this last section. Um, So we're moving from the power and the presence of God's love to the product and the proof of God's love in verses 18 through the end sorry, 17, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. His love casts out all fear. Because you may be thinking as you think about how John is calling us to love the church, you may start to wonder, I just don't have that. Do I really have the spirit of God abiding in me? Am I really born again? Am I truly his? Well, John's purpose here is not to reveal these things and, and then suddenly threaten with God's wrath. But he's revealing, revealing these things so that Christians can say, I need to get back on track. And so that those who perhaps realize that maybe they don't know Christ can realize it and embrace this great love that God has for them. And so this is our resolution, to abide in him confidently, to overcome fear and walk in love for my brothers and sisters by the Spirit working in me, to reject the fear that that cripples me and makes me think I don't measure up to what God has for me. You know, this is a great verse, verse 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. This is a great verse for those those nights where your kid's having nightmares and they wake up in the middle of the night. This one, I hope, comes to you just so quickly that you can offer that to your little ones. And that as you offer it to your little ones or as you offer it to your friends or to your neighbors or wherever that might be, in whatever situation, people are afraid today, right? We have reason to offer this to people that if we are in the love of Christ, there is no need for fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. And we know that since we are in Christ, he has absorbed all of our punishment for us. So if we don't need to fear punishment from God, church, what do we have to fear? Nothing. Nothing. There's nothing that we need to fear. We've been relieved of the greatest burden of of our sin by Christ. and He's enabled us to live without that fear. So, he gives the command after that again. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. This doesn't make sense. You can't say that you hate God. A person, but you love God. Because if you love God, if you're saying that God abides in you, then his love abides in you. And God does not treat people the way we do. He treats them justly and he treats them with mercy. That's what we need to do. We need to embrace that. And this is not just to say, okay, yeah, you're right. I'm good here because I do love other people. I, I think Warm thoughts about people, and I even pray for them sometimes. We're talking about the kind of love that was manifest at the cross. You've got to deal with that this morning. Does your love for other people, it's not supposed to equate or be it though with the same weight of what Jesus has done for us, but does it make sense in light of what Jesus has done for you? Are you willing to rearrange your schedule to, to prioritize time with other believers? And I'm not going to tell you how to do that because that's not what it's about because God needs to work on our hearts. And from that, the overflow will will cover your life and be, be the reason you do whatever it is that you decide to do for his glory and for your joy and for your great love of him that he is worthy of because of his great love for you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your kindness and goodness. Thank you that in the times where we wonder and we doubt, and in the times where we reject and dismiss your love, you have given us a clear manifestation in Christ of love. Lord, help us to repent, and turn from any desire in us to look to anything else for love or for fulfillment or for purpose. Lord, you are holy. You are good. You are are just and right in all things. And you would have been just and right to squash us, to give up on your love and just say, I've loved them enough. There'd be nothing wrong for you to just say, that's good enough, I'm done. But every breath that we breathe is an opportunity for us to repent and turn to you. Lord, let us as your church walk in the light of the truth of who you are and walk and abide in the love that you have for us so that we might share that with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.